0: Welcome, everybody, to this episode of No Driving Gloves. We've got Will and Derek hanging out with us tonight, today, this morning, whenever you're listening to this. What's going on, guys?
1: You know, just sitting here in my chair, mm, recording, talking, recording a podcast, not a whole lot. You know,
0: eating mm. some Oreos. Or would those be sandwich cream since Nabisco is not a sponsor of us? But well, whichever.
1: Have we done I, think, any... I think Oreo sounds better than sandwich cream.
0: <laughs> With that said, have, has anybody done anything exciting, interesting, or whatever that we think the listeners might be interested in this week? Other than the typical, John hasn't done anything. Derek's worked on an old car, and uh, Will needs to hire somebody.
1: That's about it, man. <laughs>
0: not that Still we have any.
1: For...
0: Not that we have any consistency in the podcast, but.
2: Yeah, no, nothing's changed on my end either.
0: Let's jump into tonight's topic really quick. We kind of were chatting and we thought it might be an interesting way or discussion on how each of us kind of choose cars. You know, the the little tips we we can potentially provide to you on car buying tips, things to look for in your cars. Each of us has a different interest in cars. Each of us has a, you know, a different like Derek's, you know, pre-war stuff. A lot of his things wills fifty sixties 60s and you know, a little th- quirks that he might want to pay attention to. If he's you know buying for a street ride or if he's buying for a driver and everybody knows I'm just all over the board. I'm just looking for a deal. So who who wants to jump in maybe a little bit? And uh, Derek, what are you looking for in a car? Are you looking to see if there's termites? Or are you looking to see if there's worms? Uh, Snakes, anything like that, or where are we at?
2: I, I certainly like to avoid the snakes in the cars. I'm not a fan of snakes, so uh, anytime that's involved, I usually run the other way, screaming like a schoolgirl. Um, but it really, I see that it's an interesting topic. You know, we chatted about it a little bit beforehand. For me, it it varies car to car. Um, you know, when I'm looking at early stuff, you know, obviously condition plays a a good part of it, but for me also what I'm striving to add to my collection is part of it. So in the case of the 1917 Overland I purchased, I purchased it because it was really the first early teen's car that I was acquiring on my own and it was in really excellent condition other than it needed to be completely gone through put back together it was it was kind of what you'd call the classic basket case which is the car is torn apart it comes in bins or baskets hence the name basket case and it really just needed to be gone through Restored, put back together, and everything was in amazing condition. The wood in the body was solid. There was one spot that needs to be needed to be replaced, and other than that, pretty much all the sheet metal was there. A couple panels of the hood are missing, and I've, I've already lined up another hood. It's it's stored at a friend's house, and. So that one, it was it was conditioned making sure I was buying something at the right price that was going to, yeah, I really wasn't going to lose money in it if I if I put a, a fair amount of money into the restoration to get it back on the road and have something I could collect and, and drive and have fun with. Whereas with the Peerless, the condition side of things played a little less of a role in the purchase and acquisition of that car, Uh, and more so the fact that it was a Peerless, one of the great American automobiles from the pre-war era. It's one of the first three American companies with a V8 engine. It has the 332 cubic inch V8 in it. The condition, as I say, we've talked about the car on the, the podcast before, it's a barn find. There's some issues with wood in the body. That's I'm probably going to have to replace some sections of wood. There's some rust in areas. Yeah, I, I've already noticed that the engine, the water jackets, do have very some very fine cracks in them. Uh, likely, a small amount of water was left in it and expanded, turn, you know, froze, expanded, and cracked the uh, the block a little bit. Fortunately, on a, a non-pressurized cooling system like that, that's actually a, a easier repair than on a pressurized system cooling system car. So, you know, it varies car to car for me on what I'm really looking at being the determining factor in getting it. Price is always probably the most important. Like John said, we're all always looking for a deal. But you know, and then If it comes to more modern cars, you know, then I'm really going through them. When I bought my Pontiac Solstice, you know, test drive it, check the oil situation, you know, pull the dipstick, check the oil, all the typical things you would do, and then try to get the deal on the car. So for me, I think things vary car to car, even in in my entire life growing up, uh, working alongside my dad at the shop on you know our personal cars the personal cars we were going out and buying it really depended on on the car itself what we were looking for depending on condition versus price versus significance of the car so i guess for me i don't know if that really answers the question the way we're we're hoping to eventually get to with this podcast but that's where i'll start with it is that for me it varies car to car on what the most important
1: factor is.
2: What do you think, Will?
1: Well, when generally when I'm when I'm looking for a project for myself, like you said, it, it varies drastically of what the car is. If I'm if I'm wanting to build myself, say a pre war hot rod, a thirty two, a thirty three, thirty four, thirty five four. It really doesn't matter how good the body is um, because you're not going to, I'm not going to use any of the original wood. I'm not going to use any of the original gauges. Um, you know, garnish moldings are are huge on cars like that. So you definitely are looking to make sure the garnish moldings are there because they're really, really difficult to fabricate, and they're they're difficult to find as well. So uh, that's one thing that that is pretty much a must-have to buy a pre-war car to build a hot rod out of. Generally, you're not going to use the frame. It can be in pretty rough shape and still build a nice, high-quality hot rod out of it. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be a metal shaper, so I can... You know, I can fab door skins, I can make deck lids, I can make quarter panels, I can make whatever. So, if you know, if if there's a lot of rust and rot, you know, in the body, that's not a problem to fabricate. And, you know, those cars are actually really easy to work on because you can get to the backside of all the panels. And, you know, you're going to be buying different gauges, you're going to be buying a different steering column, you're going to, you know, you're going to be buying a different steering wheel chances are you're not going to be using the original seat. So, I mean, basically, when you build a hot rod out of a pre-war car, all you need is the hull of a body. You're going to have to modify the floor system and the and the firewall to, you know, adapt to what motor and transmission you're going to run in at rear end. Uh, you're going to stiffen the frame up some. So, you know, even the floors, if they're gone, it's really not an issue. So pre-war cars it it really doesn't matter, you know, how rough they really are. You start getting into the 50s and 60s era cars um you you want to find a good car. I mean, cuz a lot of those pieces that are reproduced, the chrome pieces that go around the windows, I mean, just the the window regulators, all that stuff aftermarket is not good at all you know door latches you know stuff like that that you really don't think about all that stuff needs to be in working condition to build a good quality car out of you know a 60s and 50s era car i mean you can go buy all the trim you can buy every piece you want for a tri-five chevy pretty much every piece of trim every you know, every piece of rubber, it, it doesn't matter. You can buy every piece for one, but if you can find original trim, you're, you're going to be light years ahead. Cause it's, it's thicker material. It, it fits the car. It fits the body. It's easier to install. You don't have to tweak it and bend it and cut it and weld it and all this stuff. So, you know, that's one of the biggest things is on a, on a fifties and sixties cars. You really want good trim Uh, especially around the windows and uh, on a hard top, the flippers on a tri five Chevy. Uh, If you don't have good original flippers, you know, good luck. And, and I, right now I'm more into factory painted type cars. Um, So I'm looking for a good, you know, car with no rust. We're still talking 60, 50, 60 air cars here. With with no rust, you know, decent original paint. I'm not looking for good original paint because that's really not what I'm into. Um, you know, the interior can it don't really have to have interior because you can buy pretty much in like an original interior kit. Um, but that that's what I'm looking for right now is stuff that um, I can slap a you know, a later model fuel injected motor in and overdrive transmission and maybe narrow the rear end up to run some, you know, deeper dish wheels in the back and set it down on the ground and just have a nice fun cruiser type of car that, you know, you could drive every day. You could, you could drive to Walmart, you could drive to the grocery store whatever and and load the family up in and go to local cruise nights and, and get out, shut the door and, and not worry about it. Um, so that's pretty much uh, pretty much my thoughts of me personally, kind of what I'm looking for.
0: You
2: know, while you were talking there, well, you made me think about something that I I look for, especially with the early cars that I didn't talk about, and with something like the Peerless when I when I look at a car like that walking around it's it's in a barn you're looking at it's been there 50 plus years parts some parts are off of it some parts are in the car laying on the seats all these different things and you parts can be difficult to find for some of these early cars especially when you have one of the low production something like a peerless you know Model T's there's all kinds of parts out there for them but you get into the the lower production cars like I say like the Peerless uh, Overland's actually were one of the second they were the second uh, highest produced automobile behind the Ford Model T so there's a few more of those out there but even my 1917 Overland it's one of like 6 or 7 roadsters left in existence that we know of so parts can be difficult to find, but one of the things I I tend to do, and this may be an odd thing to do, but say I'm looking at the fact that the Peerless is a four door automobile and it's got it needs to have four interior door handles and four exterior door handles. I'm always looking to make sure there's one good condition handle. Or one good condition part on all of those, because as long as I have one of those, be it a hood latch, be it like I say, a door handle, uh, you know, window crank, something like that, I can always get that part recreated. Whether it's through casting, you know, the cast uh, casting process, and having it re you know, recast and, and doing that whole pattern building and all that, or where a lot of us are headed today, doing a three-dimensional scan, having a three-dimensional pattern printed for it, and then having it cast that way. Um, you know, that, that was just one thing as you were talking about garnish moldings, things like that that popped into my head. It's, it's, I think it's one of the things I just do in the back of my mind while I'm walking around a car, which is okay, one good part there i can always have it recreated one good part there i can always have that recreated if i need it uh so that's just that's just something that popped into my head
1: yeah you know we're we're the same way on on a lot of these cars too is you know if if you're building a car that they don't recreate anything remake anything aftermarket does not support it which is really other than Dodge, Chevrolet, and Ford, you kind of get outside of that little bubble. You better have a really nice, complete car or some deep pockets to uh, to build, a, a either restore or build a hot rod out of. Um, I mean, recreating, you know, gauge bezels and, you know, stuff like that in some of these, you know, 60s cars and 50s cars man that you, you know you start milling that stuff out of billet or having one off castings done and stuff like that man you, you're you spending you're spending some pretty serious money we actually made a or had made i had had a guy make us a um piece of trim to go around the back glass of this 42 truck that we're building uh, cause I wanted it, I wanted the back glass to kind of match the, the way the front windshield is with like a windshield frame around it. And, you know, that's, that was a, that was a pretty pricey item to have made, you know? So, and that's, it's not a real big piece either. You know, you start having to, st- having stuff made like that, it, it, it gets pricey. So you're better off, you know, spending the money on the front end of, of, finding a good car than you're saving think you're saving money by buying a rusty piece of crap that's missing half the parts and then having to having to build the parts now in some cases you don't have a choice you know if if you're dead set on you want this car this year model with this vin tag and these options you know you got to do what you got to do but yeah it can it can get pricey if 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 you're missing I mean, just interior door handles. I mean, you got to make four interior door handles and window cranks. You know, you're you going to be spending, you know, two or three thousand dollars just having them made.
2: Oh, yeah. I didn't I didn't say it was cheap. Yeah, I it's, it's definitely not a cheap way to do it. But, <laughs> you know, like you say, in the case of some of these early unique, especially in the early and unique car world, Peerless Packards, Pierce Arrows, Duesenbergs, Auburns. Cords, all all these uh, high end, low production cars. It's the only, in some cases, it's the only way you're going to get your hands on one that's not already done, and you're going to spend buku bucks buying a completely restored one already. Now, are you going to dump buku bucks into the restoration of one if if you don't have the abilities to do? Uh, do some of those things yourself? Yes. Uh, As we've talked about before, the three of us are fortunate. We all have the knowledge to work on these cars and and restore them. And John likes to sit around and stare at them uh, and not do any work. But if you're looking for something like the Peerless or a Duesenberg or something crazy, or even like my 17 Overland, which was not an expensive car, it's not worth Buku bucks. It's not a high-end car, but there's parts on that that I'm going to have to recreate because they're missing, you know, some of the small little detail parts. For me, when I'm looking at the car, it is what it is. And if I really want that car, I'm going to accept the fact that I'm going to have to make some of those essentially monetary sacrifices, let's call them, to make sure I get it done and restored so that I can enjoy the car and have it in my collection,
1: and you know a lot of people can do a lot of that stuff at home and it, it, it you know casting is one of those things it's it's not difficult if you have the right tools to know the process. It's really not that difficult of a thing to do you just you just got to really know the process and and have the right equipment to do it. There's a lot of people cast stuff at home. I save, you know, we pull, we do a lot of LS conversions and stuff. And, you know, factory castings is the best thing to melt down and recast stuff with. I've got a stack of, you know, the serpentine belt stuff that comes off of the front of LS motors. and, And, you know, I've just got a stack of it that I keep for... One day when I get into casting my own parts, you know, I've got I've got a lot of stock in that already.
0: Now, I've sat here very quietly and listened to you guys yammer on and on for 15 minutes now about old cars and buying the best old car possible and the difficulty and finding parts and trim pieces and things like that. And now we're talking about casting, which don't let Will (laughs) lie to you. It's 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 a little bit more difficult than he's saying you've got to allow for shrinkage you've got to allow for you know various things with the advent of 3d printers and um i mean you can use your you can get scanning apps for 20 bucks for your iphone that you can scan apart, pop it into your 3d printer and come up with a usable pattern or such for your mold so it it's simpler than it was even 10 years ago but i'm going to sit here because i just sit around and look at cars and their gorgeous lines all day long and, uh, you know, you know, go ahead and keep my fingernails clean and such. But I'll say the same thing. If you're going to buy a car from the eighties or nineties, you all, no matter what you, what your plans are, whether or not you're going to give it to Will and he's going to cut every panel and fold it and caress it and change it. And nothing's going to be able to fit from the factory again. You're going to give it to Derek and he's going to put it back together, and you're not going to mistake it from a brand new car, and it'll be absolutely perfect, you always buy the best car you can afford. You spend as much money as you can on the purchase. It's Even if you're just flipping cars, if you're flipping houses, the rule's the same. You don't make the money when you sell it. You make the money when you buy it. So you have to be careful on that purchase. You, you, you buy the best thing you can afford and go from there. Now, if you're going to build a Bradley GT kit car, you don't care what the Volkswagen Beetle body looks like. You do care what the pan looks like. But uh, came across my desk today a Vector M12, one of the 12-cylinder Lamborghini cars. There's there's one on the market right now, 30 beat up, was owned by a Sultan. I think it's out west somewhere here in this country. But it's missing the interior. You can probably pick this car up for a third of what a Vector is going for on the market right now. But you're probably going to spend that other two-thirds having, a, having an interior made for this car, whether it's custom or you're trying to recreate what Vector originally did. In that case, you're probably better off forking over the money and buying the whole car. If you don't have, say, a half million dollars to buy a Vector, this is what I call the creative collector car financing. You buy the car you can afford and you make your payments by buying the parts you need to put the car back on the road every month. Uh, We'll bring it down to a a normal car. Say you pay $10,000 for a 79 Corvette that has some issues as opposed to paying $30,000 for a 79 Corvette that's absolutely perfect and is one at Bloomington Gold. Those values could be off. I haven't priced 79 Corvettes lately. But you eventually will have that $30,000 Corvette. You'll pay for it three or $400 a month without a loan, but one month you'll buy the alternator it needs, the next month you'll buy the seat covers it needs. And I, I call that the creative financing method of how, how you get your collector car. Now, unlike Derek and Will, you know, when Will goes and buys a car, he's usually looking for something specific, especially if it's for a shop. You know, every week we sit here and we talk and Will says, if you see one of these, I'm kind of looking for it. And I'm assuming he's pricing out a project or a bid for a customer. And, you know, Derek has the cars that he likes and what he said, he wants cars that'll fill his collection. I've said on this show repeatedly, probably weekly, I love my mid 80s Chryslers. I've never bought one as a collector car. I love my Lotus. I have had a few, but every time I buy a Lotus or every time I've bought a collector car or a toy car, and I'm planning on re-entering the market this spring or so, looking for another toy car, and yeah, I'd love to have an Elan M100. I'd love to have an Esprit. I'd love to potentially pick up like an 82 Corvette or something. I won't sit down and say, I want an 82 Corvette. I'll sit down and I'll look at my budget and say, I've got $12,000 to spend on a car and I want something interesting. And then I will look for the best, most interesting car for that $12,000. I know for a fact I'm not going to keep the car more than 12 months, 24 months. But I want something that is interesting, that is fun, and is the best thing I can get for $12,000. I think it might have been the same Facebook group that discussed the Vector. Um, had a Chevette seventy nine Chevette scooter on there today for four grand. And everybody's going, you know, why would you pay four grand for a Chevette? This was a really nice Chevette scooter. Red, good, you know, good paint, good interior, air conditioning, automatic, no rust, four thousand dollars. Why would you want a Chevette for four grand? It's what it costs new in seventy nine, if not more than what it costs new. It's interesting, it's cool. It actually has a slight interest to me. I almost bought a Chevette 76 Chevette Woody 10, 15 years ago off of eBay. I got out of the bidding around five, six grand. The car ended up selling, I think, for just over six grand. You know, that was just way too much to pay for a Chevette at that time. But you know, gremlins are popular, pacers are popular. Why isn't it a Chevette? A lot of people remember Chevettes from their high school days. Again, it's not something I'm going to pull up at a, you know, Antique Automobile Club of America show and not get laughed at or get questioned, "Why did you get that?" Uh it's not something I'm going to pull up to a Corvette show and people are going to go, "What what's that?" But if it's a car show, then the guys are car people. You could pull up and they're going to be interested in it. They might laugh at you behind your back. They might think you paid too much. But you're having fun with it. And honestly, that Chevette at four grand was kind of tempting. I learned a bit of trivia about a Chevette scooter today. That first model year didn't even contain a back seat. It was a fiberglass platform. It was so cheap and so stripped, GM didn't spend the money for foam and material in the back and just put a fiberglass panel there. And to be honest, if that would have been a first-year Chevette scooter and it would have had that panel, I would have really seriously looked at it because to me that was something neat and I could have for a year, probably drive for a year, and I might not get four grand out of it in a year. Who knows? I might get five, I might get three, but if I had fun with it for a year and I didn't have to put any money into it other than buying it, put gas and insurance on the thing, I'll drive it for a year for a grand because if I buy that 82 Corvette, I'm going to do a thousand dollars of the maintenance in that year. So that. That's kind of how I look at my collector cars. I, I have the cars I would love to have, and if, say, my budget's ten grand, and one comes around at about twelve, I might push it to that. That's how I bought my Caterham. I wanted a trailer. I wanted an lease. I had X number of dollars. I drove the Elise. I wasn't happy with it. it. The Within that next week, my ex-wife sent me an email and said, here's how you get your trailer. And it was a catering for sale with a trailer. It was that same price range that the Elise was. Actually, it was 10 grand less than what the Elise was that we had driven. So I flew to Florida, looked at the car, came home and told her we're going to Florida next week and picking up our catering and trailer which also involved selling the pickup I had at the time, which was a low rider S10 and buying a Dakota. So I had something that could pull the trailer, etc. whole nother story and a whole nother group of expenses. But again, I wasn't set on spending thirty, thirty-five thousand $35,000 on a lease. I was set on spending thirty, thirty-five thousand $35,000 on a fun car and I didn't buy an a lease. I bought a caterum and You know, it kind of worked out that way. I didn't care what I got. I got something that was fun and I, it's actually one of the cars I've owned longest. I think I owned that car four or five years nearly and had fun with it until I parted with it. You know, there's, there's no right or wrong when it comes to car collecting. And here you have our three hosts, all with three completely different ways of pursuing your collector car.
1: No, I, I agree with you. If, if, If you're looking to buy a project, even if it's not a project, even if it's a car that you're wanting to just get in and drive and enjoy and and not have to do a restoration on, you buy the absolute best car that you can. Because like you said, we all know all of these cars are increasing in value every day. So you're going to get, unless you just buy something that's totally overpriced, you know, check the market before you buy it. You're going to be able to get your money back out of it. No matter if it's, uh, you know, a, a $30,000 car or a $10,000 car. Now you start getting into some of these crazy customs that we build, you know, if you buy, say a, a car that, um, you know, Johnson's hot rod shop built, you know, and you, you, you buy it for two hundred and fifty, three hundred thousand dollars. More than likely that car is going to decrease in value before it increases in value. But um that's 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 pretty rare. And that the hell that ain't what we're talking about anyway. So here I am going off on a tangent again. Um but yeah, buy you buy the best car that you can buy no matter what you what you're planning on doing with it.
2: I mean, I completely agree. I think it's kind of what I was uh, maybe trying to allude to earlier, which is the way I buy cars is I want something interesting. I want something unique and I'm going to buy obviously what I can afford and, and be it as John says, you know, afford it as a running driving car or afford it as a project car. You know, get it for a good price and know that I can afford to make those monthly payments, as John calls them, to buy the parts and do the work that needs to be done on the car to bring it up to a running driving car and yeah, we all know our budgets, and that's that's where we all at least you know the three of us I'm sure that's where we all start. we know what we have to spend on these vehicles and it, it, it Like John said, I know I I focused mostly on the early cars and I did talk a little bit about my 2006 Pontiac Solstice when I had that, you know, making sure I got the deal on it. I knew what I had to spend, you know, I knew what I could afford and making sure I got it in that price range, but making sure it was a good solid car that I was not, you know, going to lose money on it essentially when I decided to sell it. Not even a year after I bought it or like a year and a half. I don't remember exactly. And same thing with my 61 Ford Falcon. You know, it was, I want something cool as a, you know, a 60s era cool car as a daily driver. I've got X dollars to spend. Let's go find something cool. And and you really can't go wrong with a Ford Falcon. They're bulletproof. There's very little that goes wrong with them. They get about 30 miles to the gallon. Uh, you know, it was, I looked around quite a bit at other cars for the price that I was looking at. and This Falcon was exactly what you want in a a 1960s daily driver. If I was looking for something more unique for, you know, the weekend driving that I would do with my other collector cars, my early, you know, other early cars, then I probably would pick something else. But just something that's cool to drive back and forth to work on a somewhat daily basis, the Falcon fit right into that. So that's how I wound up with that car. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I think that's exactly where we all start and how we all acquire these cars that we we own and that we drive and have fun with
0: we've discussed a little bit about what we looked for in cars and kind of our criteria on buying them. What's the thing that might completely scare you away from a car? Uh, is it rust? Is it hidden? Is it, what are the questions you should ask maybe if you know, you're, know you you're buying a car, is there any way we can go to give tips? Because I, I used to do a, appraisals for a, a side job for oh, well over a decade And I found when I would go look at a car personally or even go to a pre-purchase for a friend, the moment I pull out my little electronic paint thickness meter, you knew right away the car that you you had and you were looking at, even if the batteries were dead in the thing. Because the sellers that are selling you a Bondo-laden or a body body filler-laden automobile, or with a lot of paint repairs, accident damage, trying to hide stuff, they would carry on conversations. They would point you in a different direction. They would really start asking about what you're doing. The guys that had a nice, honest car then it never never said a word. You know, they go, oh, what's that? You know, oh, it's a paint thickness meter. I'm, you know, I'm just checking checking for filler in that. They go, oh, all right. And they just let you have at it. And you, you really... You, I would recommend everybody get on eBay, spend a hundred bucks and buy one of these things. Like I said, you don't even have to put batteries in it. You just, you know, you pull the thing out and you know that you you all of a sudden get a different interpretation of your seller. And it's, you just learn to read them. Like I said, the, the ones that know they have something that's junk, really start questioning things. And like I said, start distracting you. The ones that have something they honestly believe in. Now, there are people, you you will still find stuff. And this, you know, some sellers honestly don't know what they have because they bought it and they were told it, told it was great. And then you're the one that says, Oh no, it's got filler. uh, And you, you know, darn well, they've never done any body work or had anything done to it since the day they bought it. But, Unfortunately, you know, the, that fiberglass is added to that steel car and doesn't exactly work well. You know, and I just have always found that one of the best tools. Even if I go to a new car dealership, you go to the new Ford dealer or you go to the, the Honda dealer or whatever and you start looking at a used car and you pull out a paint thickness meter on them, that, you want to see a car dealer squirm, they start to squirm because they they... Those salespeople don't know what they have. They don't know what their you know bosses have put in front of them or where they've come from. They just they're just there to sell you a car, and you start getting that that serious. Um, I can't say I've been asked to leave, but I've been encouraged to you know maybe this isn't the right car for you. Maybe we're not the right dealer for you. <laughs> Any of you have experiences like that or little you know psychological tips that you can you know. Read on your, you know, I'm going to say s- sellers because we're we're talking about this from an acquisition standpoint.
1: Gray primer, run. If something's got gray primer on it, run. Because I guarantee you, 99% of the time, it's a bondoed up piece of crap. All right? I, I hate, well... We're actually looking for a 56 Ford right now. And there it is,
2: the car of the week for Will.
1: Yep. <laughs> yeah, 56 Ford. Um, went and looked at one, uh, you know, real good car. Oh, man, it's a great car. It's a great car. It's a great car. Went and looked at it. Fiberglass all on the backside of the panels that they would spray painted flat black to make it kind of go away. Um, great primer, and you know I walked around at one time and I said no thank you, and the guy was like, "What are you talking about, man? This is a great car," and I'm like, "Sir, you know there, there's fiberglass on the backside of every freaking panel here." I said, "One, if you put fiberglass on sheet metal, all it's going to do is hold moisture and rust the metal from the you know inside out." Well, that ain't the case. Moisture can't get through fiberglass, and I'm like, yeah, you know, fiberglass is porous. It's not. It's it's not sheet metal, you know. And um, and what moisture's in there is trapped. It, it can't go nowhere. And um, and I said, all all they did was fiberglass on the backside of some rust, and put put bondo over it. You know, oh, that ain't that ain't what they done on this car. And I'm like, okay, well, you know you might can get the next guy, but it ain't getting me and that ain't the car we're looking for. And, uh, you know, so if something's in gray primer, you could pretty well bank on it's It's not going to be the car that, that you're expecting it to be. Uh, so that's, that's one of my big turnoff. If I walk in a shop or, or, or if I go look at a car and it's, it's in that cheap gray primer, I just generally turn around and walk away. I've got two things. Number one is
2: grand stories is what I like to call them, which is when you, when you stop, you know, you see the car on the side of the road at somebody's house and you're like, huh, I wonder, I wonder, wonder if I, ah, we might as well stop and look. So you stop and look and it's always the guy comes out of the house, comes walking up, and just launches right into the story about the car. And yeah, the the best ones I've and, and probably the most recent ones are you know you stop and or I'll go and uh, look at a car with somebody and to help them out and and the owner comes out and just starts laying this grand story on about you know recently ah you know my son's into cars and this was we. We bought this to be the first car to to fix up, and we did this, and then he lost it, and it's just this never ending, distracting grand story, and that that's why I like to always go with people because you can you can kind of have the one pawn that gets the story while you actually look at the car and find all of the things that are wrong with it. Oddly, I think it was John mentioned a, a Volkswagen a VWs earlier, and you know, the pan, making sure the pan's good in a VW and all that. And that was one of the cars I went and looked at for someone I know was a VW bug they saw sitting on the side of the road. And sure enough, this guy's got a grand story about the car and how great the car is. And this is this, and we've done all this work and, you know, the, you get underneath it and the, the pans just rotted out and somebody, welded at least one or two other floor pans on top of the hole to try to cover it up and it looks like it works better as an air scoop than a floor pan so yeah the the grand stories always make me worry what what are you trying to hide kind of like the gray primer you know it's it's some type type of smoke screen and then just because I, I am who I am, I usually tend to run from any car with a computer in it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you you tend to run from yeah. <laughs> anything with a computer in it. Uh, I think if you could still get a little flip phone or a brick phone, you would uh, be carrying that, opposed to hey, your hey, probably Droid. hey, hey, you, you
2: guys know what I got for Christmas. I have but come you're... into the 21st century, okay?
0: Yes, and I actually got, you know, I went out and bought a similar item, and it, it was floor pans on said Volkswagen. It reminded me of a story of a Mustang that I had to do a pre, pre-purchase pre inspection to many, many years ago. A <laughs> 66 Mustang. And the car kind of looked a little bit odd when you walked up to it. You could kind of say it was a... Uh, Liberty Walk body kit or such because the fenders on the front and rear were a little bit wider than the doors and you couldn't quite figure it out till you really looked at it and they put replacement fenders on it. And and the guy was clear in that in the ad that he put replacement fenders on it. It was very clear the guy put replacement fenders on it. He wasn't lying. Um, he just didn't take the old ones off before he welded the new ones on top of the old ones. <laughs> just one of these, what are you thinking?
1: <laughs> so that really happened. Uh,
0: yes, <laughs> all, all four Quar- quarters and front <laughs> fenders on top of the other fenders. <laughs> and I'm going,
1: <laughs> wow. So
0: it's uh just one of those stories it's amazing what you'll find in this this world that's that's
2: one of the stories that is really why we decided to start this podcast and encourage everyone to learn how to do this kind of work even if it's your hobby so that more cars are out there don't wind up like that Mustang.
0: Yeah. I I will honestly try. This one could be hard because I deleted off a whole bunch of files, um, when it came to appraisals a few years back, if I can find pictures of that car, um, I'll, I'll try to put a couple of pictures up of that car, but I, I don't think I have that. I think that was in my first few years and due to phases, you know, I was able to find the soundtracks from 20 years ago, but I think some of those pictures are gone. So, unfortunately. Do we have anything we want to close up with? We're nearing in on that hour mark and uh, getting late. And Anything we leave out of this topic? I'm sure there's dozens of things.
2: I think what I would say, John, and what I'd like to add is that if you... You know, if you're looking for something a specific vehicle or you just have a budget and you're looking for the most unique vehicle out there. Once you pick that vehicle, do the research on it because there's enough written out there about what the common problems with the said vehicles are. You know, if you're going out and looking for a, early C4 Corvette, you know, the early 1984, 85. There's write-ups out there about what the common problems are with those cars. Same thing with, you know, 1950s Chevrolets. There's write-ups out there about what the problem is with those cars. You see, you can even get down specifically to the engine you know GM V8s for a long time are known for having a leaking rear main seal because they used what's called a rope seal it's it's just a known common problem and i would say definitely do your research behind the vehicle you're looking at buying so you know what you're getting yourself into if even if it's a running driving fantastic car there's still a chance some of those common problems are going to show up down the road and be prepared to deal with them. So it doesn't turn into what most of us call the nickel and dime car, which it means it'll just nickel and dime you to death. That's, that's what I would add.
1: I I got one more thing I want to add to whenever, whenever you're looking for a a later model car, that's, you know, a used car that you're just going to, you know, buy your kid or, that's turning 16 or, you know, something that you want to drive back and forth to work that you don't mind, you know, putting miles on and stuff. One of the, one of the biggest things you can tell real quick by a car, just walk around and look at the tires. If all the tires, all four tires are the same brand and the same size, that's, that's generally a pretty decent sign of a used car. Cause somebody's actually, when they, when they, went and got tires they bought all four you know they just didn't replace the rear or the front you know it just shows that generally they they maintain their car pretty well and that's something that you can you know walk around and and really easy look at and, and give you a kind of a good base you know i wouldn't base the whole you know my my whole mind up about that but uh might give you a little bit more of a peace of mind and it's something real quick and easy that you can do.
0: It's always those little things that you walk up to on a car and I can never tell you what I'm looking for. It's just always a gut feeling for me. I'm, I feel I'm well-knowledged and well-versed on the automobile. And like I said, I'll pick a price point and I'll find a car. But before I go look at that car, I've done some research on it. I know that the problem areas but it's just always a feeling and out of all the cars i've owned and i've owned in the range of 60 cars in my you know 46 years on the planet um i've never really been burned on a car i've i've been really lucky there there was uh, one late model that i bought off of a trusted dealer that broke the following day someday we'll eventually get into that story i don't want to get into it at this point and that's probably the only car I've ever really been burned on. And I don't think it was the salespeople. I just think it was a a misfortune of um happenings. But I don't think I was taken care of properly in the end either with some of the circumstances. But other than that, and that you know, that was I was looking for a car. I was looking for a car at a price and they happened to have a car that they weren't sure they were going to sell. But when they gave me a price, that was the price I was willing to pay. And that one time I got burned. Other than that, it's it's always been a pretty good deal. So, you know, one out of 60 isn't is isn't such a bad record. You know, I, I could live with that if I was playing baseball or something. I only have one strikeout at 60 at bats or such. However, those stats work. I'm not a baseball guy. But with that, I think we'll go ahead and wrap up for this week. But if you do have any topics or suggestions, please shoot us a message on Instagram or Facebook. That's where we're most active. Uh, comment on the show and say give us a feedback on uh, Apple iTunes if you wish. It doesn't really help, but the more with the new iTunes, they only show so many searches and we, we get a move up the high, the more ratings and such we have. So check us out there. Let us know some topics or suggestions. If you have questions on the show, let us know, and we'll go back and hit, you know, any of our shows. We'll go back and hit, hit some questions. But with that, I think I'm going to be out of here tonight. What about you guys?
1: I'm tired. Going to bed. I'm going to get
2: out of here. Good luck to all our listeners buying their next car.